0: Well, good morning. For those of you I don't know, my name is Deirdre Chance, and I'm part of the ministry team here at Twin Cities Church. And this is the sixth topic that we're covering. Um, It's going to be on depression for our uh, summer-long mental health series called um, Soul Care. And before I I begin, I do just want to acknowledge and give thanks again to the elders for inviting me and letting me work on this series. And I wanted to start off... um, with a consideration, with a question, a couple questions for us to consider. Who do you consider well-off? Maybe what image or picture do you hold of someone who you would say this person is well-off? Or what image or picture does society put out to us of a well-off person? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be a blessed Christian? If you were going to write a beatitude, what would you write? Blessed are the... What would you say? Well, in the beatitudes, Jesus is giving us an overall picture of one who is well-off or blessed. That Greek word literally means supremely blessed. It can be translated as fortunate, happy, Or well off. So Jesus is saying, Supremely blessed, fortunate, well off, happy are the poor in spirit, are those who mourn, are the meek, which means mild, gentle. You know, it's the opposite of being pushy or manipulative. Supremely blessed, fortunate, well off, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are the merciful, are the pure in heart. And by pure in heart, he doesn't mean those who are able to keep it together for appearance, but he's talking about our integrity. It's not somebody who doesn't steal, it's somebody who doesn't steal, even if the opportunity presented itself. It aligns with passages like in Matthew where Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisee hypocrites, because you do well with cleaning up the outside, but on the inside you're full of extortion and excess. goes with other passages where Jesus says, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say every man who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. Blessed, happy are the pure in heart. Supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off are the peacemakers. I don't know if you've ever entered into conflict to pursue peace, whether it's conflict between yourself and somebody else to pursue peace, or whether you've entered into the conflict of others, sort of in the role of a mediator. But in my experience, when I enter into conflict, either way, intrapersonal or interpersonal, when I enter into that conflict to pursue peace, normally... There's conflict because there's been a lot of insult and injury hurled around, a lot of mudslinging, and sooner or later, some of that mud gets thrown at me. And my first response is not normally happy, well-off, fortunate am I to be in this spot. Jesus says, blessed, fortunate, well-off are those who are falsely or wrongly persecuted and reviled, especially in my name's sake because of me if you've ever been passed over for a race, if you've ever not even been given a job opportunity, if you've ever been discriminated against, especially because of your Christian ethics or more, is your first response, how blessed and fortunate am I? Why would Jesus give us this picture of blessing and fortune? Well, I think the context in Matthew in the end of chapter 4 really helps us grasp why he would give us this picture. Jesus has been, the way Matthew words it, Um, This is the start of Jesus' public ministry, and we know that Jesus has said his teaching has been, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he's healing, it says, every disease and affliction in the name of the kingdom. And as a result, a great crowd is following him from as far off as Syria in the north, from the countryside in Galilee, from these Greco-Roman cultural stronghold cities known as the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And his disciples are in that crowd too. And so we, we see this setting. There's a great and a diverse crowd that would have included the very broken, sick, and disease-ridden people who he just healed. It probably would have included people who were curious and wanted to um, see this guy who was allegedly healing people. And it included his disciples. So this crowd is just a raw mass of humanity. And the scene sort of seems like a great show and tell. Jesus has showed them the kingdom of God is at hand, and he's told them the kingdom of God is at hand. Dallas Willard puts it this way, There were directly before him those who had just received from the heavens through him. He could point out in the crowd now this individual who was blessed because the kingdom among us had just reached out and touched them with Jesus' own voice and hands. And the crowd was hanging on his every words we know because at the end of his teaching, which goes on for like three chapters, it says that the crowd was astonished because he taught with authority, unlike the teaching of the scribes. And so Jesus, once again, is teaching us about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. The diseased and the afflicted, his disciples in the crowd, these were not the popular ones in society. These were not the respected ones of the society. These were not the ones that people of his day would have pointed out and looked to and been like, there's a picture of fortune and being well-off. They would not have looked to these people and said, that's who I aspire to be like. In fact, the very opposite was true. We know from passages like in John 9 where Jesus heals the young blind man that not only did people not respect these afflicted and hurting, but they viewed them as sinners. They viewed them as something wrong with them. And so when Jesus heals the young blind man, his disciples turned to him and say, well, who sinned, Jesus? The man or his parents? And Jesus said, He's not blind, he's not hurting, he's not sick because of his sins or his parents' sins. He was blind so that the works of God could be revealed through him. The very one society was naming as nobodies and unblessed, Jesus was shockingly calling blessed and fortunate and well-off and happy. Jesus in describing this overall picture of blessing, one giving us a list to check off, he was painting an overall picture, a surprising picture of those who are in fact blessed because the kingdom of God is available to them, even to them. Jesus understood and was teaching that our well being, our fortune, our happiness lies in the kingdom of God. The theme of the Beatitudes is the availability of the kingdom to, of God to all who will depend on him. Jesus taught in word and he showed in action that it doesn't matter who you are, the kingdom of God is here. Heaven is here on earth. The very presence of God is here and now for all of us to receive. And you don't have to get somewhere. You don't have to arrive or achieve or pull yourself up by the bootstraps in order to receive the blessings of the kingdom. But as humans, do we really see that our well being, our fortune, our happiness, our blessing lies? In the kingdom of God, or do we tend to look for it in other places? If I pose that question I asked earlier again about if you were going to write a beatitude, what would you write? Would you be able to say, or are you able to say, blessed are the unemployed, blessed are the overwhelmed, blessed are the financially limited, Blessed are those who can't conceive. Blessed are those with postpartum depression. Blessed are the sleepless. Blessed are the depressed. Because the kingdom of God is available and accessible to them, to you, to me, here and now. You know, when you or I focus on circumstances, or achievements, even if it's good religious works we're doing, or self-sufficiency, we repel a brokenness that depends on God. Arrogance, self-sufficiency, and a focus on the circumstances says things like, boy, am I glad I'm not like that person, or boy, am I glad I'm not struggling with those issues, And it's a focus, it's an elevation of the current circumstances, the current condition we find ourselves in. And it repels mercy, meekness, and peacekeeping. Because we're looking for blessing and fortune and happiness somewhere outside of God. If we can't say to others, namely the outcasts, of our society, those with social stigmas against them, those struggling with mental health. If we can't say blessed and fortunate and well-off are you because the kingdom of God is available to you, we may not grasp the message of the kingdom of God. If we can't say to ourselves in times of weakness and sickness, Blessed and fortunate and well-off am I, because the kingdom of God is available to me now. We may not understand the message of the kingdom of God. If we make the message of the kingdom of God a checklist, I better mourn, I better be more merciful, rather than seeing the kingdom of God is available, even and especially to those who are spiritual zeros to those mourning, to the reviled and the persecuted. We may not fully grasp the message of the kingdom of God. So what would it look like to deepen in the kingdom of God? Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5.20, Jesus goes on to say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never see the kingdom of God. And the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was based on human effort. It was based on what they could do and the appearance they could put forth. And so what Jesus is teaching here is to locate your righteousness in something above and beyond the external, and above and beyond your own effort. You have to get to another level other than merely controlling your behavior or trying to look or appear good. We are not blessed, we are not happy, we are not fortunate or well off because of the condition we find ourselves in, but we are blessed and happy and well off because we are in the kingdom of God. We are receiving the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The message of the kingdom of God is that we are blessed because of entering and being ushered into and dwelling in that kingdom through ongoing faith. The kingdom of God is available and accessible even at our most painful moments. In fact, the kingdom of God is accessible especially at our most painful moments. So how does this apply to us with mental illness today? Can we be blessed? Or is that just something for Jesus' day? Again, today I want to look specifically at depression And there's a continuum for sadness and depression. On the milder end, we all are going to feel sad, anxious, hopeless, or despairing from time to time. And those feelings are real, and they're worth our time and attention. But on the extreme end of the spectrum, there's clinical depression, whether it's mild, moderate, major, or seasonal depression. And the feelings attached to clinical depression are more intense, and they're longer-lasting than the ups and downs of everyday life. These feelings often interfere with day-to-day activities. Sometimes depression can even include actual physical symptoms, fatigue, inability to concentrate, sleeplessness, weight changes, unexplained pain like headaches, stomach aches, back pains, Other symptoms can be anger and irritability, just being short with everyone around you. Low energy, self-loathing, even reckless behavior can be attached to depression out of a desire to escape. And depression can be the cause of hopelessness, guilt, and suicidal thoughts. In 2017, there was a study done by the National Institute of Mental Health, and it found roughly 17.3 million U.S. adults, ages 18 and older, um, had one major depressive episode. That same study found 11 million of those same 17.3 million adults had a major depressive episode with severe impairment. The current recommended treatment for depression includes therapy, medication, and or family and peer support. Estimated 65% of those diagnosed, of those 17.3 million people, received um, combined care by a health professional and medication. Medication alone was only 6%. And approximately 35% didn't receive any treatment. For adolescents aged 12 to 17 in the U.S., an estimated 3.2 million have had at least one major depressive episode. That's a lot of people. So I think it's natural to wonder, well, what's the cause of depression? And in short, we don't know. Decades of medical research currently supports that no one factor causes depression, but it's likely, likely a complex interaction of genetics and other influences. These could be biological influences like hormone changes, inflammation, uh, electrical activity level in the brain, nutritional deficiencies, even they have found a correlation between uh, the size of your brain cells and depression. Climate and environmental factors can contribute to depression. And of course, I think we normally think of psychological and social factors. So um, trauma, your personality, low self-esteem, these can all play an enormous part as well. So that's just some of the naming and framing of depression, depression. But, you know, what are we supposed to do with that? How are we supposed to respond? What if we think we have depression? or what if we know we have depression? Can Jesus' teachings on being supremely blessed and fortunate and well-off even apply to those of us with depression? Well, first, I think we do well to recognize that depression is a place of suffering and pain, whether that depression is in us or whether it's in other people. Once we understand depression as a place of suffering and pain, only then do I think that we can proceed appropriately. And we can look to Jesus as our example. How did Jesus respond to those in the crowd who were suffering and in pain? How does Jesus respond to us now when we're suffering and in pain he responds with grace and companionship, sticking with us for the long haul, encouragement, listening to us, help, and telling us the truth in love. One of my favorite passages um, on dealing with suffering that we use in uh, redemption groups is Exodus 2, 24 through 25. And it says, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. God heard their groaning from pain. He remembered his promises and he saw them and he knew them. And there's no better place to be than seen and known by God. This passage of God seeing his people in pain always makes me think of a child who's fallen and has bloody skinned up knees and is hurting and in pain. And the parent Picks him up and gently rocks him and pats him and says, I know, baby, I know. And God the Son does especially know our pain and our human condition because he took on our flesh. That's why Hebrew 4 tells us we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus understands. Jesus gets us and our suffering and our pain When we are depressed, when we are in deep suffering and pain, it's not a time of being rejected by God. It's a time to draw near to God, to draw near to the throne of grace, to receive mercy and help in our time of need. And it's good for the church to be part of that help. We should be there for the long haul. It's not rushing in for just a short little window. It's for the long haul because that's what God calls the church to be. That's what healthy families do. We support each other. And again, it's a worthwhile endeavor as a church, both individually and collectively, to learn to listen well. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration recommends reaching out to other people if you're struggling with depression. It's believed that isolation can fuel depression. So the recommendation is to reach out to friends and loved ones, even if you feel like being alone or you don't want to be a burden to someone. A simple act of talking to someone about how you feel can be a tremendous help And the person you talk to doesn't have to be able to fix you. They just need to be able to listen. That means being attentive, not distracted, and not condemning. And I think it's wise to talk to someone you trust, someone who has some maturity and wisdom, potentially but not absolutely, in mental health issues. But you want to do this in a way that puts the expectation not on the person to be your help, or to meet your needs, but put your expectation on God to work through the person to be your help and meet your needs. And it's likely gonna take great faith on the part of the depressed person, again, whether that's ourselves or someone we care about, to reach out and talk about their depressive feelings. So recognize that if somebody reaches out to you, that it took them faith what might not take us faith to do, may very well be great faith for that person. And listen well and remember to encourage and strengthen and speak the truth in love. But I do want to give a little word of warning. If you are the person struggling with depression and you reach out to others, it's possible. It's I would say rather likely that you're going to come across Job's friends. And that's okay. (laughs) They're well-intended, but they're misguided. It happens. I'm sure I've been Job's friends, and other people have been Job friends to me. And the reason it's okay, the reason why it doesn't matter that much is because I'm doing this out of faith. I'm not looking to that person to meet my needs, but I'm looking to God to meet my needs through others as well as other ways, too, through his word, prayer, meditation, um, therapy, medication, complementary alternative methods of therapy. That's what I got my master's in, like music and light and animal therapy. We want to use every available resource that God has provided. We want to see all these things as resources that God has provided for us that we can receive with thanksgiving and praise to him. And we want to remember God's final words or counsel to Job, which is, just recognize me as God and entrust yourself more to me. That's God talking. So first, we want to see depression as a place of suffering Then second, we want to guard against the temptation to think intentional sin is the cause of depression. And we either just need to rebuke the depressed person, or if we are the depressed person, we need to be rebuked, or to pay penance, which is this continual, ongoing, self-inflicted injury for wrongdoing. Charles Spurgeon, he was a very mature preacher and theologian of the 1600s. He struggled with depression for most of his life. Jesus did not go around rebuking the broken and sick of his day. He went about rebuking the arrogant, the ones who trusted in themselves and their own efforts for salvation and righteousness. Intentional sin is not the sole cause of depression, that we need to figure out, hunt for this sin, identify it, root it out, and get rid of it to be healed of depression. Now, we may respond to our depression, The depression we have or the depression of others with sin, that's another story. But we have to resist the urge to put intentional sin as the cause of depression. And then the last consideration for us as we apply Jesus' teachings on being supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off to those with depression is we need to repent. Jesus didn't go around rebuking the sick and the diseased, but he did tell us all to repent. And repent literally means to think differently, to reconsider. In depression, we might be tempted to think we're unblessable. We're unable in those depressive episodes to access and usher into and interact with the kingdom of God, with God himself. But we want to reconsider. We want to think differently. And we all need to reconsider and think differently about where our source of blessing, well-being, happiness lies. Our human nature and the enemies gonna tempt us to look for those blessings and happiness outside of the kingdom of God. But Jesus is calling us to think differently, to reconsider, to repent, and to consent that blessing, supreme blessing, is available in the kingdom of God, and we are able to access the blessings of the kingdom, even in our depressive episodes. You know, it's clearly displayed through the gospel that those considered unclean, unwanted, Those regarded as too far gone, those with social stigmas against them, the outcast who dared not hope that they could come, they were not only welcomed, but they were blessed and declared fortunate, happy, well-off. Depression must not be a barrier, a reason to not come to God. Rather, it should be the fuel that ignites us to God. Jesus said, all who wills to come can come. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are indeed in control of all things, that you are all powerful, and no, no obstacle, no barrier, no sickness, no ailment is too great for you to overcome. Lord, strengthen us to be able to come. No matter what circumstance, no matter what condition we find ourselves, strengthen us as a church to encourage and welcome everyone to come and receive from you. And we pray these things again in our advocate on high, our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs)